Good morning. It's good to see you today. And uh, I mentioned last week that we had some uh, some work done. Uh, Gabe Gabe told me this morning. He says, "Hey, I, you know, I wasn't he wasn't here last week." He says, "I'm gone for a week, and you guys remodel." I said, "Yeah," and uh, we're not done. We're we're seeing God do some great things in our church. Amen. And uh, one of the things that I failed to mention last week was that uh, a good portion of uh, of this project was donated by someone in our church that cares about um, you know the church. Amen. And uh, and uh, wanting to see us have a place of worship that. Uh, you know, uh, honors the Lord. And I, I'm one of those folks, too, that believes that, um, you know, the church ought to be one of the best-looking buildings in town, right? Amen? And uh, when you invite your friends and family and coworkers and those that are far from God, um, that we have a place that represents the one that we've come to worship, right? Amen? And, uh, and so we want to continue to do that and make improvements as we go along. And uh, we're just excited about what God is doing. I look around the room today, and we're in the middle of summer, and uh, there's tons of families that are uh, on vacation and whatnot, but there's not too many seats left, right? And uh, I can't wait for the fall to see what God does and see uh, God continue to build his church. And uh, one of the things that I pray for most every morning for our congregation and for what God is doing is here is not so much that we grow in number. I, I hope that God gives us an impact in our community where we um, are seeing the gospel spread throughout our region in Frankfurt, Monee, Manhattan, and Piatone, and, and even beyond that to, to the uttermost parts of the world. But one of the things that I I pray for and I long for as a pastor is to see God's people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I mean, really, that's that's what we're here to do is to become those who who know, love and pursue Jesus Christ and that we might be a people that that really lean into and have a a heart for and a commitment to uh, obeying the scriptures. Right. Amen. And my wife and I were talking this week and. And I don't know about you, but this kind of segues into the message this morning. But there have been seasons in my life where I've actually doubted my relationship with God, right? And I I always think most of us here this morning, if we were honestly assessing our relationship with God, there's been seasons where where we've had um, setbacks in our life where we really question the validity of God's word, right? Amen? we like, we wonder, like, is this really true? And if I obey God, is this going to come out this way? And, 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 and is there really an eternity? And, and, and is this life lived out for God? Uh, is it really worth it, you know? And um, one of the things that I, my wife and I were discussing this week is that, and I feel like as parents, I'm, I'm kind of failing in this area, and I want to I do better. I want to try to make those, those uh, steps, is that I want my kids, I grew up uh, in church, and I, I went to Awana, and we taught our, our kids to memor- I was taught to memorize the Word of God. And that's kind of like a lost virtue or a lost practice in the church today because the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And when Jesus was on the mount and he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and, and, and God brought this passage to my head this morning, um, Jesus was tempted three times by Satan. And in the, in the discourse of that conversation that he was having with Satan, Jesus responded, to the devil with the word of God. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I want us to understand this morning, if we're truly going to, Mike, Pastor Mike mentioned this last week, the only offensive weapon they have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Because the word of God is quick and sharper and powerful than any two-edged sword, uh, cutting and dividing asunder. And so, so if you want to resist the devil, and if you want to al- allow your faith to grow, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the
the Word of God. And so if we, if we win this battle, and if we develop the kind of endurance, right, that God wants us to have in this Christian life, it will come by the means of us knowing and obeying the Word of God. And I believe this morning that if we're truly going to, um, uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. If we're going to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, if we're going to guard our hearts and take captive every thought and bring it into the obedience of Jesus Christ, if we're going to do that, man, we got to be learners and knowers of the Word of God. Because it's in those seasons and those quiet moments and in those dark places where you begin to question the reality of God and the veracity of the Word of God. And, and, and all of a sudden, in those quiet moments, it's the Holy Spirit that begins to bring back to your memory the truth of the Word of God. I look around this room today, and we've got some young men and some young women in the room today. Uh, I know Christian and uh, Drew and, and Ashley and others are going to be leaving. Ashley and Emma are back from college. They're going to be going to college this year. You know, most universities today are secular in nature, and they're anti-God, and the only thing that's going to allow them to stand in their faith is the Word of God. And so, as moms and dads, right, and as, uh, as grandmas and grandpas and as, as men and women, we have to instill in our young people a love for and a passion for the truth of the Word of God. And, and not this disconnectedness where we, we like... You know, we only use God when we need Him, like chicken soup for the soul. I'm talking about we're going to obey God even when it hurts. We're going to obey God even when it costs us something. And there's not going to be this, this disconnect between, between truth and practice. We're going we're gonna to apply it to our lives. And so over the last several weeks, we've been studying the, the character and nature of Satan and how he attacks our lives and how he attacks our hearts. And the first lesson that we learn that Satan is a deceiver. Uh, is a deceiver. He's a deceiver who attacks your minds with lies. And, and he's going he's gonna to get you to question and doubt the word of God. Because if he can do that, he's, he's getting you to question and doubt the goodness and faithfulness of God. Pastor Mike talked about last week that Satan is a destroyer who attacks your will with pride. And listen, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a, God, b- b- before a fall. Listen, God, the Bible says God, God resists the what? And he gives grace to the, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And I believe those that sow discord and division in the church and even in family, I think that's just demonic by nature. And I believe this morning that, that the Bible teaches that one of the reasons that Satan got kicked out of heaven was because of his, he wanted to be more important and higher than God. And so whenever we lift ourselves up and this, this need to, to, to be better than everyone else and this need to um, be better than God and make our own decisions and live in autonomy and, and live in that state of pride, man, we're, we're walking a very fine line before we fall. And today, this one for me is very personal, and I've been excited for this whole series to talk about this one, but the last one today is that Satan is an accuser who attacks your heart with accusations. Satan is, a, is an accuser who attacks your heart with accusations. Now, this last one has been a struggle most of my life because, you know, if Satan, if Satan wants you to, he wants you to doubt your security. He wants you to doubt your salvation. Satan wants you to do that. He wants you to doubt whether or not you're really accepted by God. He wants you to doubt whether you're, you're worthy of God's love and whether you're truly saved. I remember being in a Bible college, and here it was. I was in, in school studying the Bible most days, memorizing the Word of God, studying books like Romans and Psalms and 1 Corinthians and, and just delving into the 
uh, theologies that, that were necessary in order to complete my degree. And I remember sitting in my dorm room. I was in Z, uh, Zimmerman dorm. And I remember just one afternoon just struggling with the reality. Am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? Am I really truly a disciple of Christ? And when I was five years old, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And did I, did I really pray the right things? Did I say the right things? Did I have enough faith to believe in God? And, and I know that I, I really mess up and struggle in these areas. And if I was a follower of Christ, man, I, I really wouldn't act this way. I wouldn't feel this way. I wouldn't think this way. And I remember just opening my Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. And I remember just reading through Ephesians chapter 1 and seeing where God chose me and he elected me and he redeemed me and he sealed me and he adopted me. And it was in that moment that God gave me a peace in my soul that I had not known in my life. And it was in that time for me that I don't know that I've ever again doubted the security of my salvation. But I can tell you this, when you doubt your salvation and when you doubt your acceptance in God, it will lead you to some pretty dangerous places. I, I just believe that this morning. Because if Satan can accuse you of your sin and cause you to doubt God's infinite, immeasurable love, it causes you despair. Because Satan wants you to lose hope by challenging your acceptance before God. Because doubt quickly leads to despair. And despair, please write this down today, despair leads to destructive behavior. When you doubt God's love, when you adapt, When you doubt that you are worthy of his forgiveness, and listen, no one is worthy of God's forgiveness. None of us are worthy of his love. We are unlovable in every way. And yet, God redeems us, he restores us, he renews us, and he shows us love, and he he accepts us as we are. But if Satan can get you to doubt your salvation and your security, it leads you to a place of despair. Despair leads to a place of destructive behavior. For some, it could be binge eating, overeating. For others, it could be overindulging or binge drinking, overindulging in alcohol. For others, it could be binging in TV. For others, it could be depression or anger or or, uh, illicit uh, sexual behavior. And on and on and on we could go. When we walk in a place of guilt and shame, we live out that guilt and shame in very destructive ways. But I want to tell you, friends, this morning, the Word of God, this passage in particular, is just absolutely dripping with hope for you and me. Because God wants to turn your doubt, and He wants to turn your despair into a season of deliverance. God wants to take your doubt and reassure you of His love and your acceptance of you. God wants to turn your despair, your your loss of hope, into a rock-solid confidence that delivers you in such a way that you're so motivated to live for God and to pursue Jesus Christ and His will for your life that it'll be life-altering and transforming in every section, in every area of your life. You see, our adversary, the devil, he's an accuser. One of the strategies that he uses to ruin our lives is shame and guilt from our past. You know, For years, man, I lived up under this. For years, I lived up under the shame and guilt of my past because many of you know my story and you know my background and I didn't always live in a way that was righteous and in a way that was good. I just didn't do that. And for years, I would be around other pastors and other folks in ministry and I I remember comparing myself to them and saying, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not a pastor like they are. I don't pray like they do. I don't preach like they do. I'm not as holy as they are. And I'm going to tell you, you and I get ourselves into trouble when we compare ourselves to other people. 
And the reality is, is I don't need to compare myself to anyone else because Jesus loves me the way that I am. And so for years I walked in shame and guilt. And Satan uses our sin and he even uses our struggles to convince us that we're unlovable. He convinces us that we're un, unaccepted and he convinces us that we're, uh, that we're unworthy of God's love. I, I remember as a young person just kind of coming to the place where understanding that, especially when it comes to your salvation, and, and, and more, more of us than we would admit probably do struggle with the reality of, am I, sa- am I saved or not? And friends, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're even asking that question, it's likely that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, 1, the Bible says that you were dead in your sins, but you had to be made alive. He's, he's, he's quickened you. Because in the former lifestyle, you walked according to the power and the prince of this, this world. You, you lived a sinful life, and you had no regard for God or his word or the people of God. You had no interest in the things of God. In fact, Romans says no man seeks after God. And so, so if you're at all struggling with this issue, it's probably a good indication that you know, love, and have a desire to follow Jesus. But those who don't know Jesus have no desire to follow him. So Satan wants to jam you up with your struggles and with your guilt and with your shame. And what Satan does, he loves to do this. He pushes us to evaluate ourselves according to how well we've done. You know, like if you had a good week this week, and maybe you have a particular struggle, whatever that struggle is. It might be an area of purity. It might be an area of anger. It might be an, uh, uh, an area of lust or greed or on and on and on I could go. And if you did good this week, you're in church today and you're like, Man, praise his name. Oh, he paid my debt. Oh, the one to whom I owe my life. Right, amen? You could come in here with a fairly clean conscience and just be like, before God, I'm, re- I'm like, I'm amped to worship him this week because I did so good. Right? But then if you had a bad week, you clicked on some things you shouldn't have clicked on, or you got angry and maybe you lost your cool and you used some adult words you shouldn't have used in a particular situation, or maybe you just lost it with your kids, rightfully so because they just took off their diaper and ran naked through the house and made a mess, you know, because they couldn't hold it until they got to the bathroom. I mean, it was just a crazy week, right? And maybe in your mind it was a bit justified, but you shouldn't have, like, you know, thrown dinner against the wall, right? And you're sitting here this week, and you're shrinking back from worshiping God. You're shrinking back from experiencing His love, His acceptance, His grace in your life. And if there's anyone that should be raising their hands this morning, it should be you. Because all the garbage that you did this week, it's covered by the sweet grace of God. And in His love, He brings you in and He accepts you and He redeems you. And God isn't looking for per- people that are perfect. He's looking for people that are in a, a, uh, a, a progress. So here's the truth this morning. I'm going to drop it for you. Revelation 12.10 calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. That's you and me. He's the accuser of the brethren. And the truth is this. Satan's primary temptation strategy is to try to make us forget about what God has said about us and to evaluate our standing before God by some other criteria other than the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. He wants us to evaluate ourselves. He wants me to look at Mike and be like, you know, hey, I, I, you know, Mike lived you know, really well this week or by John, and, and here's these guys that are super great, and, and, and I can't live like them, and so I'm going to measure myself by them, and if I can, if I can get where they're at, then, then, then God's going to love me. No, 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 God loves you infinitely and immeasurably. When we think about spiritual warfare, I don't know how you think about it, right? But when you think about spiritual warfare, you probably think of, uh, think of it in terms of like strange paranormal phenomena, right? People levitating like six feet above their beds, right? Some of you have seen, you know, some of those movies, you know, The Exorcist. Don't be watching that garbage. I know you do, but right? 
Some of you think, like, that, that's what you think of, like, satanic, you know, spiritual warfare. People levitating off their beds, their eyes rolling back in their heads, their heads are spinning around, you know, uh, singing. You know, when I was a kid, it was always, like, singing backmasked heavy metal music, you know, ACDC, you know, what that stands for, and on and on. And on. That's, that's what we think about, you know, spiritual warfare. And I, Do I put that past Satan? No, he could do that. But I think one of his primary strategies is that he attacks our identity in the gospel. And not only that, but he beats us down. He beats us down with our failures. He doesn't need to raise people off beds. He doesn't need to have people, you know, uh, spinning their heads all around and rolling their eyes in the back of their head and foaming at the mouth. No, if he can get you to doubt your identity in the gospel and beat you down with your failures, then he's winning the battle of your heart and soul rather than you being captured and pursuing Jesus Christ. The truth is this morning that we don't, we don't have a license to live however we want because we are accepted. In fact, the Bible says in Romans that the goodness of God leads to repentance. But we need to acknowledge God's incredible love and grace to continue moving forward in our relationship and our pursuit of Jesus Christ. And the gospel, the gospel, it motivates us to move forward in our pursuit of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this morning, are you doing that? Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And here's how we can how we can move forward, even though we have an accuser. And the first thing is this, and we find it in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 5, is our authenticity and confession. The authenticity and confession. You see, one of the ways that we can shut down the accusations of Satan is to live from a disposition of confe- confession. You see, Satan doesn't, and please jot this down, Satan doesn't want you confessing your sin. Write it down. He doesn't want you bringing your sin into the light. He wants you to pretend that you've got all your stuff together. He wants you to act like there is nothing wrong going, going on in your life right now. Some of you this morning, you're struggling with bitterness. Some of you are struggling with greed. Some of you are struggling with gossip. Some of you are struggling with lust. And listen, there are people in this room, and when I say people, I mean every one of us that struggle with sin on a daily basis. I mean, unless you're dead, you're, you're struggling with sin. You're struggling with something. The sooner you own that, the sooner that you'll have victory. We have become, I believe, we've become the people that God intended us to be when we're marked by confession and repentance. I just believe that today. We we have become the people that God wants us to be. We've become the church, the community of believers, the gathering of saints that God wants us to be when we become a people of confession and repentance. Not Not a people that pretend, not a people with pretense, not a people of Christian platitudes. And it's amazing to me how we come to church and we, we know the right things to say, right? But we're not fully living them out in the secret places. And that's not a, an indictment. That's an encouragement to bring your sin and your struggles into the light of God's forgiveness. We say this all the time. It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. You struggle with impurity? Great. Let's move forward you struggle with with bitterness and unforgiveness have you ever struggled with that like i have i struggle with that from time to time where you get hurt or someone betrays you or they miscommunicates you or they they don't represent the situation well and and that stuff frustrates me and then i have a hard time trusting them again i have a hard time believing in people again And, and the reality is is that that's a that's a real struggle for many people in this room today. And marriages and churches and, and relationships are broken and in despair simply because we can pretend that we like someone and all the while in our heart hate them and be frustrated with them and just want to crack them for the glory of God. 
when in reality, most of that stuff would be dealt with. And we would become mature followers of Jesus Christ if we would connect truth with practice. John says in verse number 5, and uh, he says in verse number 5, this is the message we have heard from him. And we proclaim it to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship, if we say that, that we're followers of Jesus Christ, and while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So the first thing that we do, and, and I believe this morning the devil wants you to hide from God and he wants you to cover your sin just like Adam and Eve. And here are two ways that we continue to carry guilt and shame in your life. You'll never move beyond the feelings of guilt if you practice these two lies in your life. The first one is this, walking in darkness. Walking in darkness. More than anything, the devil wants you to think that you're alone. He wants you to think that no one cares. He wants you to think that God doesn't care. He wants you to think that God doesn't take your sin seriously. He wants you to believe the lie that, that bitterness and unforgiveness and lust and, and anger and, and greed and, 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 and pride, no big deal. It's under grace. No, it's a big deal. It'll ruin your life. And yet you walk in darkness. He wants you to live in the dark places of your life thinking that you're the only one struggling with sin that keeps ruining your life. Bring the struggle out into the light. Drag it out into the light. Find someone that loves you and, and is willing to listen to you and willing to not judge you for where you're at and say, hey, look, I'm struggling with this issue in my life and it's hindering me from knowing God and it's hindering me from doing God's will in my life and it's distracting me from being all that God wants me to be. Proverbs chapter 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions, this verse scares me. It puts a fear of God. Not like a, I'm afraid that God's just going to like sit in heaven and we have this, this view of God where he's just going to crack us every time we do wrong. Listen, the goodness of God leads to repentance. And if you're under the sound of the word of God today, and God is speaking to you through the word of God and the Holy Spirit, that is his good grace. Heed his word. And this verse puts the fear of God in my life because it says this. He says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsake them, they find they obtain mercy. And I want to live in the mercy of God. God's, God's not okay with our sin. He's okay with the struggle as long as we're willing to struggle and find mercy and confess it and, 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 and attempt to pursue him and his holiness. We must drag our sin in light. Guilt grows in secretive and dark environment. Uh, write this down. What struggles in your life right now are you keeping hidden? What struggles in your life right now are you keeping hidden? What are they? Write it down this morning. Put it on paper. There's something about writing it down and saying it out loud. God, I struggle with lust. God, I struggle with bitterness. I have, a, I have an anger problem. I have a drinking problem. I get angry with my spouse. I get angry with my kids. Say it out loud. What is your deal this morning that you're struggling? What is the sin that, that, that keeps licking you? Say it out loud. Write it down and find someone to talk to about it. And then he says we walk in denial and deception. Verse 6 and 8, he says, if we say we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice. We lie. We're lying ourselves. You know, you're not deceiving God. You're not deceiving other people. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I don't know what it is, but... Uh, you know, I would say that maybe God has given pastors a sixth sense. And, I, and pastors can just tell when something is out of step in your life. And you can pretend and act like nothing is wrong, and you think no one knows, but God knows. And oftentimes, after a long enough period of time, 
other people know. And if they truly love you, they're going to say something to you. And there will be several people in this room today that would say, that would say by way of testimony, Pastor Jason noticed something in my life at a season in my life, and he said, hey, what's going on with you? And he confronted me about my sin, and I've had others confront me about my sin and my, my areas of struggle. And, and thank God we have brothers and sisters who are willing to step into our face and say, hey, what's going on? Let me pray with you about this. Not because they're judging us, because they genuinely love us. Now understand this, we can't deceive God. We only compound the problem when we don't know our brokenness and repent of our sins. Own your stuff, man. Just own it. I remember several years ago, I was talking to someone and I said to him, I said, hey, look, you're being controlling in the situation. And this is what they did. They laughed at me. They laughed at me. They said, controlling? Really? They're like, you're the most controlling person I know. Like, they said that to me, right? I said, I know, right? I'm like, I am. I said, the difference is at least I understand and I acknowledge and I, I own my stuff. Like, I know I'm controlling. And I'm seeking help for that. The difference is, is you have no idea what you're doing and how it's hurting other people. You see the difference? Because some, most of us aren't even self-aware of how our behavior hurts other people. Now listen to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. He says, listen, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever one sows, he will also reap. My wife and I had this discussion this week. I said, you know, the decisions we make, the decisions we make could have a tremendous impact on our kids. If we walk in darkness, and we're not walking in the light, and we have fellowship with darkness while we're saying we're in the light, we're going to do more harm than good to our kids if we, don't, if we don't minimize our liberties to maximize our ministry to our children. Oh man, God help us to think that we could actually deceive God to think that we can get away with our sin, to think that it's okay to, to shove our, su- our, our stuff under the rug. God gives us a completely different option. And we see it in verse number 9. I love what he says in verse 8. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now please look at, look at your life and your heart this morning. Take stock of your heart and life. Just be honest with God and be honest with yourself. Where are you struggling? Where do you continue to see defeat at in your life? Where does Satan continue to bring accusations of guilt and shame? Where is that happening in your life? Because verse number 9 gives us all the hope in the world that we need because he says, he says, if if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we can come to God with our brokenness. Do you know that today? You You don't have to hide from God. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to run from him. You don't, have to, you don't have to cover up your stuff with your religiosity. No, you don't have to do any of that. You can come to him completely open with your brokenness, with your sin, with your failures, and he stands ready to forgive. This verse is familiar, but it's packed with truth. Look what he says here. If we confess our sin. That word confess means we, we, we come with a contrite and humble heart. You come to God with a humble heart, God, please forgive me my sins. God will forgive you every time. He says that, it, that God is faithful. That means God is faithful to his promise. Do you know, do you know this is a truth? This is a promise from God that if you, if you confess your sins with a humble heart, every time he forgives you, you get that? And then he says he's just. God promises mercy that's purchased by Jesus on the cross to forgive. That means remitting the guilt. You know, God... God takes your sin and he, re, he, removes, he remits the guilt. He removes the shame. 
He removes the darkness. In fact, the Bible says, if thou, Lord, couldst count iniquities, who can stand? But there's forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. In Psalms uh, 103, it says that he takes our sins as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. We bring up our stuff to God all the time. God, I'm sorry that I did this a year ago or two years ago. I'm sorry. God's like, what are you talking about? What? God doesn't think about those things. And then it says he cleanses us. It's one thing to ask forgiveness, but it's a whole other thing altogether to be cleansed and purified. And we sang that song today that he makes what is dirty clean as snow, man. He makes us new from all unrighteousness. That's every offense to God. And so when we bring our guilt to him, he meets us with unending grace. And you want to fight the devil's accusations? You've got to be authentic in your confession to Jesus Christ. J.D. Greer says it this way, my identity and my security are in God's acceptance of me given as a gift in Jesus Christ. Nothing I can do to earn or merit the forgiveness and the goodness and the grace of God. It's given to me as a gift and I find my identity in what Jesus did for me, not what I do for Jesus. And then we have an advocate in Christ. I love this passage, my little children. John, just with familiarity to the people that he loves, He's mentoring them as a spiritual father would. And he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, write this down. When you sin, it should be, I, I learned this as a young person. When you sin, your sin should be accidental, not planned. Write it down. Now, look, if <laughs> Mike, you know, like let's say Mike's just walking around the church, right? And he's just walking around doing his thing, talking to people. And Mike has a walk about him, and that's, that's his natural walk, right? We'd be like, yeah, that's Mike. Now, if Mike came in and he had a boombox, right, and he was listening to, like, some old school Tupac or some, like, you know, Notorious B.I.G., and he was just bouncing around, you know, kicking it, you know, walking, like, differently than he did, that'd be weird, right? Amen? Maybe not. People might think you like a little rap music, you know? DJ Jazzy Jeff. I don't know. But that would be weird if, that, if he did that, right? You guys with me? I mean, it'd be cool to see it, but it'd still be weird. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it should be strange when we walk outside of God's will for our life. I mean, we should be so dialed in to pursuing Jesus and obeying the word of God that when we sin, it should look weird. It should be so uncharacteristic of those of us who know, love, and follow Jesus Christ. Like, if, if, um, if someone was bitter, they're like, man, that's weird. Like, why are you bitter? Because as a Christian, you should be like a forgiver. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you're being greedy? Like, wow. Like, as a follower of Jesus, like, we're not greedy. We're generous. Like, it should just be strange. The way we talk, the way we walk, the way we interact with each other, all of that should be in formed by and shaped by the reality of the Word of God. But, but John in this passage says, My little children, these things write unto you that if any man sin. So John recognizes that you and I are still in this human body with the old man and the old nature that is being redeemed and renewed day by day. So he, he acknowledges that you and I are going to struggle with sin. He's going to acknowledge that our humanity and our, our depravity, and he's acknowledging the fact that we are going to struggle with doing what is right 
in living out the word of God in our lives. So he, 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 he recognizes that. But he also says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But look what he says. But if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I'm going to tell you, if we have an advocate, the first thing I want you to understand is we have an accuser. The picture here is a courtroom. God himself is sitting at the judicial bench. The prosecution is Satan himself, and Jesus Christ stands in our defense. That's the picture. Day in, day out, Satan is in this courtroom, the throne, the very throne room of God. And he's saying to God, look at what Jason just did. Look at what he just said. Look at what he just thought. Look at what he's done. And constantly, he's accusing me, and he's accusing you before God. In fact, Revelation 12.10 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. Day and night, day and night. The devil accuses us to God, and he reminds you, listen, he reminds you, and he reminds me of my sin. He reminds me of my struggles. He reminds me of my failures. He wants to bring down what God wants to build up. You ever think how could anyone who is saved be as messed up as I am? You ever think that? How can anyone save you? At times I can think that. And God, uh, Satan wants you to believe that you're worthless. But when I base my spiritual identity on how much progress I've made, I can start, start to despair start to despair, right? When I begin to think, man, I haven't progressed the way that I think I should have progressed. I'm not as far down the line of sanctification as I should be. I should be better than this. And so when I start to measure myself by my progress, it leads me to a place of despair. And ultimately, it's because Satan is accusing me. But the Bible says we have this advocate. We have an advocate, you and me. We have someone who stands in our defense. And the word advocate is the word It's the Greek word paraclete. It's the same term as applied to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. Listen, he comes alongside of us and he comforts us. Amen? He comforts us. Jesus does the very same thing as our advocate. His advocacy is inseparable from the Holy Spirit's comfort and working in us. Jesus makes intercession for the saints. Aren't you glad that right now in the throne room of God, he is praying for you things that you don't even know that you should be praying for. He's making a, a, a case for our defense before God based on what he did on Calvary by shedding his blood and sacrificing his life and, and, and removing our sin from our lives and from our hearts. He lived and died so that we could be made right with God. His righteousness, the righteousness. Look at what it says in this passage. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus The righteous one. His righteousness is the grounds to his claim for our acquittal. His righteousness. Not my righteousness. Not my progress. His righteousness. Martin Luther said it this way. The righteousness of Christ stands on our side. For God's righteousness is in Jesus Christ. It's ours. So we have an advocate. But then we have this absolution. Freedom, forgiveness from condemnation. He says in verse number two, he's the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, 
but for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation is a word that's a, a theologically rich term. It means a lot of things, but primarily it means it, it, it's the means of forgiveness. You and I stood before we came to know Christ under the wrath of God. You and I, we deserved to die on the cross and pay for our own sins. And because we weren't righteous enough, we couldn't do that. So we deserved to go to a place of eternal judgment, separated from God, in a place called hell that lasts for eternity. That's what we deserve. And yet, Jesus Christ, our advocate and our propitiation, is the means to which we become right with God. Now, the gospel demonstrates... The gospel demonstrates the links to which God is willing to go to deliver those who follow his son from condemnation. Think about that. He's the propitiation for our sins. Every morning, near every morning, I wake up. If I'm out doing my walk, I'll say, Lord, I first and foremost want to thank you that you have saved me you've forgiven me of my sins, that you have sacrificed your own blood, that you died on a cross, the sacrifice that you made for me, because without the sacrifice and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, I have nothing. And Lord, I pray that I never take that for granted. We stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We find freedom in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Listen, Jesus died to remove our shame to forgive us of our sins, and to redeem our failures. The life of Jesus, listen, write it down, the life of Jesus secures our deliverance. The life of Jesus secures our deliverance. Your standing with God isn't measured by your performance. Please note that today. Your standing with God, your, your, your relationship with God, your security and your salvation isn't measured by your performance and how well you do. If you slipped up this week, if you drank too much this week, if you were um, un, 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 unforgiving or bitter or frustrated or you lost your mind with someone this week, your salvation and your security is not based on your performance. Your standing with God is based on Jesus' perfect obedience to the Heavenly Father. In fact, God's grace and forgiveness isn't cheap or free. Jesus, who died and rose again, satisfied the just demand of God for righteousness. And the gospel teaches us that Jesus suffered the full wrath of God for my sin. And listen, Jesus traded places with me. He traded places with me. Where I and where you should have hung on that cross, Jesus hung on the cross. Where you and I should have been obedient, Jesus was obedient. I couldn't have died on the cross. I couldn't have been completely and fully obedient, but guess who could? Jesus. And so Jesus traded places for me, and Jesus went to the links that I could not go so that he could secure my right relationship and my right standing with God. And so Jesus satisfied the just demands of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I love this passage of Scripture. Listen to what it says. For our sake, I underscored that in my notes, for our sake, for our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. I became right with God 
the moment that I put my complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so I stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not in the righteousness of Jason Wortman, not in the righteousness of my good deeds or my good works or my ability to perform the Christian life. No, Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. Jesus made the way, and I stand in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So then Jesus' obedience becomes my obedience. I can't obey like Jesus obeyed. I can't live up to the complete life that Jesus lived. Jesus did that for me. Jesus took my shame and he took my guilt and it's his righteousness that now becomes my righteousness. And You don't have to live up to perfection. You just have to believe that the finished work of Jesus is enough. So get this. Like, what does all this mean? How does this apply to me doing battle with Satan and dealing with the accusations that he hurls my way? What does it mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that when God looks at his children, he does not see their sin. He sees his son, his righteousness, his obedience, his sacrifice. So when God God looks at you, he's not looking at how you messed up your life this week. He's not looking at how you slipped this week. He's not looking at your sin and your failures and your struggles. No, when God looks at you, the only thing that he sees is the blessed offering of his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. So you don't have to worry about whether or not you're saved. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're secured in your relationship with God. Because when Jesus was nailed to that cross and he gave his life and he came back from the grave, He secured the payment that was necessary for you and I to be accepted and loved and infinitely known by God. I love what Romans 8, 1 says, because of that, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Others may accuse you. Satan may accuse you. Heck, you may accuse yourself, right? But there is no condemnation now to those who are in Christ Jesus. J.D. Greer in his book, The gospel says if you're in Christ, when God looks at you, regardless of your situation, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You must tell yourself that because of Jesus, you have absolute approval of the only one who really matters. Can I say that again? You must tell yourself that because of Jesus, you have the absolute approval of the only one whose opinion really matters. I've I've struggled with this most of my adult life trying to measure up, trying to, trying to perform. I'm a perfectionist by nature, and I'm driven. I'm driven to do the very best I can at anything I do. And if I can't do good, I usually don't do it. And simply, and in part, probably because I grew up in a home where my dad never said I did a good job at anything. And so I try my best to work and work and work and perform and perform and perform. And when I don't, it leads me to a place of despair. But until this truth infiltrates and is embraced by my heart, I will continue to struggle with being accepted by God. But when I think about and preach the gospel to myself day in and day out, recognizing that I am accepted and I am loved by God with all of my sin, with all of my shame, with all of my guilt, and even in the midst of my struggle, I am loved, redeemed, accepted, and sealed by the sweet grace of a loving God. And so are you. You see, worry springs from not being convinced of a sovereign God's absolute love for you. Yet worry disappears when you realize that God's love uh, for you unfailingly, and, and it lets nothing interrupt for his, 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 his plans for your good. I love what 
Romans 5 eight says, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The only thing that will help you move past your failures, your sins, and your struggles is to immerse yourself in the acceptance of Christ because your worth in the kingdom isn't based on your performance. Now, in his book, Goliath Must Fall, Louis Giglio says it this way, you are worth Jesus to God. Man, let that resonate in your soul. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, I want to tell you something this morning. God loved you and he loved me so much that he sent Jesus, his only uniquely begotten son to the cross of Calvary to bleed and to die and to become sin for you and me so that we might be the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. So when Satan comes to you hurling his accusations and bringing up your past and bringing up your shame, remember that man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God and that your sins are cast as far as the east from is from the west and that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and the moment you confess your sins he is faithful and just to forgive you of your unrighteousness and to cleanse you and he makes all things new remind yourself of the truth of the word of God this morning you may have come in here and you're feeling hopeless you might feel worthless this week you struggle to love to follow and obey Jesus how many of you just would own that today man I struggle to love Jesus this I struggled to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I struggled to love my husband this week. I struggled to obey God's word this week. I did. I totally did. But I'm so thankful that my performance this week is not going to result in my acceptance by God himself. Nor is yours. Satan accuses you. Hey, if you're really a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't have done this. You wouldn't have acted this way. You wouldn't have said what you said. You wouldn't have had these thoughts in your head. Those accusations left unchecked will lead you to despair and a self-sabotaging behavior. Trust me, I know. Despair leads to depression, fear, and indulgence in the lust of the flesh. One writer said it this way, Satan starts with what you did and tears down who you are. The Holy Spirit starts with what Christ has declared over you and helps you to rebuild what you did. Satan wants to beat you down with with your failures. Jesus this morning calls you up into your identity. Follower of Jesus, you are his beloved child who is accepted. Instead of growing accustomed to the voice of condemnation and accusation, what's wrong with you? Like, right? What's wrong with you? You're a terrible person. Instead of growing accustomed to that, listen to what Jesus speaks to you because it's altogether different. I've made you my child. I've taken away all your sin, and I could not approve of you more than I do right now. We must tell ourselves daily there's nothing that we could do that would make God love us anymore, nothing we have done that would cause God to love us any less. So this week, I want you to write down three things. And I'm done. Three things I want you to write down. When the accusations come, confess your sins. Just confess them. The moment they come, just confess them. Take time daily to to confess specifically the areas that you struggle and where Satan is accusing you. Confess them. Give them to God. The second thing I want you to do is commit to community. Commit to it. I'm going to tell you, we do ourselves, our kids, our families, and we do our church a disservice when we are not committed to community. We've got to move past the cultural acceptance where it's okay to come to church once or twice a month. 
we've got to move past the cultural, the church cultural acceptance where it's okay not to be committed to a group of believers walking in community together. Just this week, uh, Mike and I had a disagreement about something, and it got pretty heated. And I thought I was right. Mike thought he was right. And I was like, fine, let's take it to the other two pastors. Well, John and Clint, you know, let's take it to Clint, you know, see what he says, you know. Don't know that he's qualified yet to speak into that, but we'll let him speak, you know, right? My point was, if he agreed with me, I'd accept it. And if he didn't, I'd say, well, he's not a pastor. Yet. <laughs> we had a disagreement. And it got pretty heated this week. And I, dude, I thought I was right. In fact, the only reason I said, let's take it to the rest of the pastors, because I thought they'd agree with me. That's how arrogant I can be. And we got into that meeting, and it just came back on me, and it just revealed some areas where I'm still struggling with the old man and the old nature, and I had to confess some things. Walking in community is hard. It's very uncomfortable. But it's worth the risk. And you will not grow. You will not grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you will not grow in your sanctification if you think, and Proverbs teaches us this, if you walk in isolation. You won't do it because no one has the opportunity to call you on your stuff. No one who truly loves you can say, hey, look, you're out of step with walking in the light. You're walking in darkness. Now, let's get back into the light and confess this and, and move forward together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, thankfully, I talked to Mike this week, and I confessed some things to him, and, and, um, and we're good. I don't want people thinking, like, we hate each other. We just disagree. Christians do that. Amen. We do. We don't always agree with each other. You know? And I expect this week Mike will do something and I'll get my chance to be like, what's up, homie? <laughs> just, it just goes around. <laughs> you know? I'm just buying my time. <laughs> Confess, man. And see, you know what, though? I'm going to be honest with you. This is what makes a church family. When you walk together in the highs and lows of life. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want this sugary, fake Christianity. I want to know that, like, we can disagree and still lock arms at the end of the day and go to battle for the things that matter in this world. So many of us get so entangled with things that don't really matter. God help us to rise above that and not allow Satan to have the victory in our church, our homes, and in our marriages. So commit to community. And the last one is comfort yourself in the truth of the gospel. Daily remind yourself of the life-transforming truth and the power of the gospel that you're accepted and loved by your Heavenly Father. Remind yourself that there's nothing you can do that would cause him to love you more and nothing that you have done that would cause him to love you less. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor Jason, I know for sure that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't doubt my salvation. I don't doubt my security in God's love or God's plan for my life. I know for certain that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you lift your hand and just let me see those this morning? Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm a follower of Christ. I don't know that I'm forgiven of my sins and I'm right with God and that heaven is my home. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone that's like that that's here today? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Yes, ma'am. Amen. Now, how many of you say to me, man, I struggle with this. I struggle with my past. I struggle with guilt and shame. Would you pray for me? Just lift it up, man. Man, hands all over the room. Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I want to win this battle. I want to walk in God's truth, and I want to I I confess my sin before God, and I want to I I live a life that's pleasing to Him. Just lift it up this morning. Man, lift it up. Heavenly Father, I just pray for these dear folks today that you would allow them to experience your love, your grace, your acceptance. 
Our worthiness isn't in what we do or even in who we are. God, our worth is found in the reality that you sent Jesus to die for our sins. And I pray that we bring our burdens, our guilt, and our shame before you this morning to the altar. And I just pray that you would make all things new. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? What a, what a 